You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Thank you very much. Um, Usually, as many of you know, SF and SF is primarily an author's reading program. uh, But as you also probably know, um, writers are a dreary and difficult bunch. And (laughs) tonight we have a special treat. And it's, um, um, I think it will will prove interesting and enlightening. We have two very distinguished artists who also happen to be genre artists who also happen to work in the field that we're all sort of adjacent to, which is uh, fantasy and science fiction. And I'm going to let them speak for themselves this evening, and then we'll have a, we'll, other people get to ask questions and we can, you know, discuss their work and their reaction to other people's work and the whole thing. So I'm going to start this off just by saying very little about both these. Uh, the guy on my right, Brian Froud, is one of the few people I've ever met who've put a non a, a an art book on the New York Times bestseller list, which I think many of you know. And to my left, his colleague and compatriot and wife, Wendy Froud, um, was on, well, let's just say the design team for Yoda she was on. I wasn't. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, having said that, I'll let them speak for themselves. Um, How do you start? <laughs> you yeah. Start. Um, it's, it's actually great to be back in. Uh, do, do we need this? I guess we do. Yeah. Don't. Re- yeah. oh, okay. okay. You do need it. Are you recording this? Yeah. You. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. It goes straight to the NSA. <laughs> <laughs> great. So, um, we won't tell the skinny on anybody. Then, in that case, uh, it's great to be in San Francisco because um, this is the birthplace of Labyrinth. Uh, I just re- I've really forgotten about that. We were coming. Um, we've been up in Petaluma um, when he's been doing a uh, workshop there, and we were doing a signing. But coming back over the Golden Gate Bridge and then coming back into San Francisco, we went past the place which I can never remember what it's called, but it was where the World's Fair was, and it's uh, where the oh, arts. The big folly, right. yeah, Palace of Palace. And so, uh, years ago, there was a special showing of uh, Dark Crystal there. Um, and uh, Wendy was there, and Jim Henson was there. It was, uh, that was it, wasn't it, really, Wendy? I think. <laughs> I mean, it's of, uh, I mean, of us. Anyway, so <laughs> we. We didn't uh, have Toby yet, so yes, that was yeah. it. And I, was, so I was away. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Um, it was a, an interesting atmosphere in the showing. When I say atmosphere, I mean it was atmos- atmosphere. There was a, somebody was, uh, lots of people were smoking, um, you know, funny cigarettes and, uh, <laughs> as they were watching the movie. And uh, so when the movie finished, the screen went up and uh, curtains were opened and behind it was uh, all these tables and a Skeksis banquet, um, which we all took of and people were dressed as Skeksis and served all this strange and wonderful food and so um, we don't know I mean because we were so tired after the first movie uh, we'd said basically never never again and I don't know if it was the, uh, the you know the, the effects of the smoke in the air or the fact that we had several glasses of Chardonnay but um, when we all got back into the limo with Jim Jim said to us, should we do another one? And we just said, yes, let's do it. <laughs> and um, he said, well, so this time um, I want to put uh, some humans in it. And I said, great. But he said, but do you, you know, uh, have you got any idea what to do? And he, he, he said, well, his daughter, Lisa, who was majoring in um, mythology. mythology, was really interested in Indian Mythology. He said, do you know anything about it? And I said, not a thing. He said, no, nor do I. So I suggested um, uh, goblins. I said, goblins are really interesting. So he's, 
he leapt at the chance of doing that. And, and, and I had this vision uh, immediately, because we were going to put humans in it, of a baby surrounded by goblins. And um, that's really how it, how it started. And um, I went back to England and painted this picture of a baby and goblins. And that was the beginning of the movie. And that's how we developed those movies. It uh, was me just doing drawings and moving things along with some suggesting ideas. But, but when we came to uh, film, this was now, now nearly four years later, um, we realized we needed a baby. Because the baby was always meant to be about a year old. And as if by magic, we, uh, we had our own baby. Toby, who was, it was just two years right. later. Two years. Well, it was two years later. Was it? Two yes. years later. See, I knew it was a mistake to invite her. I know. See, <laughs> I mean, I could have lied my way through the entire evening without anybody noticing. And so, what the astonishing thing, of course, was that um, looking at the the baby in my painting looked just like Toby, and that was done way before he was even conceived, and so. This is me designing on a cosmic <laughs> level. And biological. <laughs> and me just following instructions, I suppose, since it was his painting. I don't know. <laughs> so, what to talk about? I don't know. Do you want to talk about... Um, well, I have a you question about yes. your work. Because you, at one point... Describe yourself not, although oh. uh, what you're known for is fairies. You described yourself not that you got tired of doing fantasy and really felt like that modern fantasy didn't interest you and you were more that it was too um, routine and you were reaching back into myth, I think is, is how you described it. Was this bullshit or was this true yeah, it doesn't sound like me it sounds very erudite and so it can't have been mean i don't i don't think i said that um well one of the things i always do say is that when i'm when i am accused of being a fantasy artist i say it's not it's not fantasy it's reality right um right. i paint reality um but it started because um as an illustrator i started in in london um, for five years, I worked on anything that came along. I had um, an artist agent in Soho, um, where we had like little cubby holes where we worked at a desk, and work would come in, and we'd do it. There'd be all sorts of things we'd do. Um, and Alan Lee was there as well. And that's uh, that. And that's how we we met. But we both got really tired of doing anything that came along because uh, the, you know, there'd be this, all, I mean, we do lots of book covers and um, there was a time where we were, later on we were asked to do um, a book of illust uh, a collection of illustration and we would part, be part of it. And we said, well, we didn't have anything because all our pictures had this strange, mysterious blank space at the top. Um, and we really wanted to do something that was where the picture uh, the images filled up the whole, uh, whole of the space. And so um, I also, um, we both, then both Alan and I moved to the country and uh, we both uh, in, immediately responded to our landscape. Um, I mean, and years later, it, it shows up in um, Lord of the Rings. I mean, we, uh, we were once... Uh, at a showing of Dark Crystal in Paris, and then one of the questions was, why did, why did the Dark Crystal and, and the Lord of the Rings look the same? And I had to puzzle about this for a while, and then I realized, I said, well, as artists, we respond to our own landscape, and then you put it back into the, into the art, and that's why Alan and I live in the same location. So in the early days, um, actually, I think guess I don't know. We were guests uh, guests of honor at the World Fantasy Convention, which was here in San Francisco. Mm. And um, I was absolutely convinced there wasn't a single tree in America. <laughs> so there cannot be a tree in America because in the fantasy art, it doesn't show up. And I don't mean there are no trees in the work. It was just that it was obvious 
nobody was looking at their own world, the, the, the world that surrounds them. They were looking at each other. They were looking at each other's paintings all the time. It got terribly incestuous. And when I got here, I discovered all these wonderful trees. And I was a bit angry about it. I thought, what are they doing? And, what, and, and it does seem to me that, um, you know, if it's, even if it's fantasy work, it has to be deeply, deeply rooted in your own landscape and your own, um, your own response to the world. But I think it can also be rooted in, um, in, in history and, and art that goes back and touches on, on you know, mythic, mythic things that are thousands of years old. I know for myself that I'm very influenced and have always been by, um, by Greek art, by Neolithic art, by, by ancient, ancient fetishes small things, the things that people held in their hands thousands of years ago and turned into sacred objects, turned into something that was important to them. And I think that that's a tradition that we, we carry on by doing what we do. And I, I kind of felt like, I know, I mean, I read a lot of fantasy, but the person who touched on that more than anyone for me is an author named Robert Holdstock. I don't know if any of you know his work. He, he just, died. just died. He was a dear friend of ours, and uh, his yeah, but his work was was profoundly influential for me. And also, I think I influenced him. Or we both influenced him. He wrote about us in in one of his books. And um, but the 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 mask making and the fetish making was was something that um, we had in common. Well, he did mythical wood, right? Mythical wood, yes, Mythago and lavendus and. Yeah. Uh, that Avilion is the, the, the sequel that he just wrote before he died. Yeah, I was working in publishing when his book came mm. out. I remember that. Mm. And uh, But now, um, did he do, he didn't do artwork at all. He no, not, not at all. No, he but didn't. Adam, Adam but he was, Lee he was, did um, illustrations. He did some of the covers yeah. for him. But um, uh, no, Rob was just a very, a very visual writer. Right. Yeah. So it was but very, most writers are. No, I don't, I'm not sure about that. Not all as much as him, but yeah. I mean... Well, maybe it just appealed to me. I could, right. I could visualize. Whatever he wrote, I could just see and want to, want to reproduce. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, what you're talking about with reality, I often feel this as a, as a writer. Fantasy writers, I think the best of them, always uh, create a... They ground everything. They create a very uh, quotidian world, mm -hmm. you know, and, and in which to root the fantasy. And... Um, I would say we've talked at, at this thing about like Stephen King. See if Stephen King's going to do first, he sets up the Seven Eleven, then mm. you got the Chevrolet, mm -hmm. then you've got the mm. you know, mm. he he puts you in the real world and then he twists it around. How does that work? In it seems like you all are starting. How do you get the reality factor in art that is based on uh, ancient mythological? Um, uh, creatures like fairies or goblins. Mm. What, what, are you just talking about landscape, or are you talking about um, anatomy? Uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> all of that. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I can. I feel a lot of things um, like through my feet, I suppose, in a sense. I mean, I do like my own. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Look at your feet. Look at my feet. They're not hobbit feet. No, I got the yeah, hairy feet. Yes. Um, what What's there? And it's it, it, well, it, for me, it was the, the the impulse of when I looked at the landscape. I knew what it looked like, and I thought, well, I know what it looks like on the outside. What does it look like on the inside? And that's the secret of everything I do. It's about the inside of everything. It's trying to express the spirit of everything. Now. Um, the spirit of everything um, can be very strange and uh, amorphous and abstract and um, sometimes you have to clothe it in some form, some form that mm, people can relate to, make sense of, um, and that's um, how the fairies and the trolls and everything I do um, start to emerge. But, um, but specifically, um, 
my job is to make you believe in this stuff. And so um, I, I start off being gentle with you. So now I have to put realism in it. I start with something, a touchstone, something that's a shape, a body, a form, that you know what it is. Like what? Well, like a nude or a female nude. Something like that, very realistically painted. So it means that when I, when I start to get more strange and more difficult, um, you are not going to dismiss it as style. I don't have a style. What I try to do is paint something that is real and meaningful. And so uh, eventually when we get in down in the deep end of everything and they are abstract, spiritual forms, you are going to accept it. That's my intention. So I, um, so I create um, a whole world that has um, you know, a gentle end and then it gets deeper and deeper. And it's a, all, everything I do, all the books I do are about journey, about starting somewhere and ending up somewhere else. Um, and I tell the same story. I haven't wavered from it, I don't think. I haven't changed anything. It's What's the story? Um, just that everything has this spirit, in, in inherent spirit in everything. Um, that's my, my story. Hmm. Interesting, because I know you also said one time that you got tired of doing illustration because yeah. uh, you didn't want to draw what was in front of you, you wanted to draw what was around the corner. Yeah, I mean, I, yes, but when I started, um, at <laughs> shockingly a long time ago, um, children's books were very um, bright, abstract, colorful, um, and I thought, well, this is fine, but it's not the world I experience. And so I wanted um, a picture that had stuff in it. I wanted to see a hill and a tree and a road. I wanted to go along the road and imagine what's on the other side of the hill. I wanted to go on the journey, and I started to do children's books that way. And actually, oddly enough, nobody was really, in England, nobody was doing it that way before. I mean, mine was still fairly rough, but, uh, and that got me going. And the other thing I did was um, a book called The Wind Between the Stars by Margaret Mahi, and a wonderful story. And it was the challenge of painting the thing the, well, the thing between the stars, which is between spaces, and indeed the wind, painting the wind. And I thought, ah, this is what I try to do. Because um, I would, um, when I first started, I couldn't understand when people illustrated things, when they, there would be a description of a boat. Um, and I would do this, I mean, that was my job. I would paint a boats and things like that and then there's all and then you do all the research and then somebody would write in and say you got the rigging wrong um, my, my revelation I did something for Reader's Digest which were ghosts of the Tower of London and I spent three weeks researching the precise uniform of the soldier that was on guard when he saw the ghost of Anne Boleyn and I went down to his buttons and everything but when I came to paint the picture, I realized um, it was Anne Boleyn was the most important thing. There was lots of mist, and uh, this soldier was really going to be in silhouette, and you wouldn't see a damn thing. And I thought, I've just wasted three weeks doing this, whereas I needed just to be more art just straightforwardly artistic. And I thought, I've had enough uh, of that, of, of just being criticized. <laughs> and I thought, well, it's sort of, it's like, what if I do fairies? Nobody's going to say that I've got it wrong. Um, so it was sort of liberating. Well, there's photographs that. of fairies. There's no <laughs> photographs of ghosts. Well, I don't know. I mean, do you do you think so? <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, uh, in terms of dolls, because mm -hmm. this is what Wendy does to great acclaim. Um, how do you ground a doll? I mean, how do you? Is there something you put in a doll that says, "This is not exactly a doll"? Do you? Is there something you put in there that uh, that gives it the spark of life? It's magic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think when I I sculpt with intent, I always sculpt um, 
with the intention of making something that will have a place in this world, maybe one foot in this world and one foot in the other world. But if it goes out to someone in this world, if someone buys it or if it, it you know, ends up somewhere, it needs to carry that message with it. It needs to be a bridge. It needs to be a portal. It needs to be a way when people look at it, when they hold it, whenever they, whatever they do with it, it needs to help them reconnect with that world. And also, um, I think we both find, maybe even more and more as we work now, that healing is a very important aspect of what we do. And I know that in my in my work, I put a lot of healing energy into it because I know it's going to go out there and be with people. And I want the energy that goes with whatever I do to be good and to be useful. I make these little things, especially when I'm, I make a lot of tiny dolls. I make, oh, I make them all sizes, but I do make tiny ones um, that are more accessible for people. You know, they're, they're less expensive. People can buy them. They can go out to a lot of people. And they have a mission. Each one has a mission, and that is to be helpful and to heal whatever, in any way they can, whatever that person particularly needs. And that's important. So yeah, I, I sculpt with intention. So these are benevolent dolls? Always. Even, even if they're mischievous, even if I often will sculpt a trickster character. Um, Loki, I just did for, um, I did, I sculpted a commission for uh, Joanne Harris, the author who wrote Chocolat, um, Lollipop Shoes, different things. And she just wrote um, a book called Rune Marks. And she wanted me to sculpt uh, Loki for her, who is the, um, yeah, exactly. And I said, okay, because she'd written about him in the book. And I said, okay, I will, but it's going to bring that into your life. If you don't mind having that kind of trickster energy in your life, um, I'll be glad to sculpt it for you. So I did, and when Brian came to photograph it, mm. do you remember it was the one? Brian's a great photographer, but every time we tried to print this off, half of it would turn out like green or, just, I mean, just bizarre things, or the, the face would be missing from the photograph. Sometimes it would just not be there. And it, it took you, you had to superimpose different photographs on each other and sort of combine them to get one image that worked. So I sent it to her and said, we've been having a lot of trouble <laughs> with this. I hope you enjoy it. And she did. She loves it. And I haven't heard back from her since, <laughs> you know, after she said, oh, I love it. I love it. So I don't know how it's mm. helping her or not, but um, yeah, was this I hope it is. Was this a personal commission? Or yeah. A so you didn't do the doll, uh, for the book cover. No, no, no. It no. was I know her, so it was a personal commission. Oh, okay. Personal commission for her. Uh, was it Rune Works? Rune Works, yeah. Um, Rune Marks. Rune Marks. <coughs> she asked me. She phoned me up and said, "Ask me, um, you know, could they use something? Oh, could she use something from the, the, the Rune book I did?" And I said, "Yes." And she said, "Well, how much? You know, would it? Would I be charged?" And I said, "No, for you, know, for you, free. I'd be. I'd love to have it on it." But the, so the publisher, but the publisher turned me down. The publisher didn't want it. I have no value whatsoever, even when I'm free. <laughs> <laughs> Brian is an Eeyore. <laughs> but Wendy made me this wonderful uh, yes. goblin guy uh, who is oh. actually in the Goblins book. Gargle. And, and I took him on tour with me. On, uh, but, uh, no he, oh, he's on the cover. Yeah, he's on the cover of the Goblins yeah. book. Yeah, he's a little figure is this tall. But he, he definitely is a trickster. And he was very mischievous. I mean, it's, uh, I say Wendy is, uh, has, is an extraordinary artist because she really encapsulates uh, soul in all her work. So they, they, they have a life. Um, and so when she makes these things and she brings them down, we look at them and I uh, all the time I say, well, you can't sell that, you know, because they all become part of our family because they, they, they are alive. Um, and so, you know, indeed, the, the, a lot of the intention is that they move on through the world in some way, not only just physically or if they're being photographed or in a book, they're still their energy is going out into the world. But they, but they are 
that, that they're an extraordinary responsibility once you've got them because they exist in the world. They are physical and real and looking at you. <laughs> and they demand attention, they demand respect, they demand certain things from you. Especially so, this particular goblin. Yeah. Was I love him. He's one of my favorite things. I make things. him yeah. stay in Brian's studio. Yeah, I, he's, he's trouble when he comes out of my studio. He really is. <laughs> but technically, if you're doing a workshop, mm -hmm. and um, I'm not asking you to give away your secrets, but the, uh, your secrets. technically there must be two or three things that you look for as a, as a way to to send this creature off with a soul rather than without one. Did you, did you ever make a dead doll? And what did you leave out? What went wrong? Oh, that's interesting. Yes. I, yeah. If I take a commission or if I do something that I don't particularly want to do, but I really just want the money, it doesn't work. Sometimes it does, but often it just won't. It'll still be a nice doll, or it'll still be a nice whatever it is, but it won't have the soul because it isn't something that I connect with. It's something that I'm only doing for money, and that's horrible. So I try very hard not to, um, which is probably why we don't have as much money as we should. Well, the same thing, actually the same thing happens to me every so yeah, often. I'm mean, desperate for money. I'll, I'll just do something just, just for money, and it is a it disaster. It just doesn't work for us every at all. Every time it takes you... It. Six yeah. times long to do it. You fuss over it. You because nothing flows. Nothing is working for you. Yeah. And then in the end, it's never actually finally accepted. Yeah. Or so it's we're basically hopeless. Disaster. But so. we, having said that, we always get what we need to live on. We we don't have an excess of anything. Maybe maybe fairies don't want us to have an excess of anything. But, you know, they take care of us. It would be nice if they took care of us a little more sometimes. But. Well, I hear fairies are mean. <laughs> you mean, mean mean like mean like they don't like to give? <laughs> it turns know. into, it, uh, well, fairy gold turns into leaves, you know, the next day. So there you are. Now, where did you, and your father was a sculptor, right? Yes, he was. And was he was sort of involved in the arts and crafts movement? Well, um, actually, he was he was a sculptor in in Germany and a refugee who came over was brought over to the states and then eventually became the president of uh, CCS uh, art school in in Detroit which he helped develop that was it was based on the arts and crafts museum so it was very much based on um, the idea of of art as craft and craft as art. And my mother was in was a painter in the painting department as well. Oh, okay. So it meant he was sort of into the William Morris type. No, he wasn't. He was really <laughs> into Bauhaus. He was into a lot of um, oh. of much more modern things. So I was into William Morris. I loved when I went to school, and and it was I went to the art school that he was then by then the president of. Um, all the things that he had dismissed totally, I loved. He hated the Pre-Raphaelites. He hated Art Nouveau. He hated all of that. It wasn't modern enough for him. I loved it. So, you know, for years, we just didn't communicate at all. Oh. Um, but then finally, he had to admit that I could sculpt. So that was... <laughs> well, that's interesting. That okay. You guys embody the, the <laughs> Pre-Raphaelite spirit so. to me. Uh, I know I'm not the star here, but I want to tell one story about the Bauhaus in, mm. in Detroit because mm. um, I have a friend who's a, uh, a fabric dealer. He deals in an antique, very fine mm -hmm. fabric designs and sells them to museums and stuff. <coughs> and he did a lot of research and discussed, well, to make a long story short, several people from the Bauhaus movement ended up in Detroit and he found that a lot of the fabric designs for upholstery in the Pontiacs uh, G for General Motors yes. was beautiful stuff that came out of the Bauhaus movement. And there were still some rolls of it that he was able to buy and sell to the Museum of Modern Art. Oh, really? That was like off of a 55 Pontiac, you know. <laughs> oh, that's and fantastic. Gorgeous modern wow. art. Yeah. Wow. And uh, so your father was not sympathetic to... Um, to the um, arts, at, to the pre-Raphaelite. No, uh, he wasn't. No, not at all. So you wouldn't like your hairdo. Well, because I was his daughter, <laughs> yes, he did. But um, 
But uh, your father, when he started, when he came out of Germany, were, was doing um, realistic portrait uh, sculpture, wasn't he? Oh yeah, I mean Which he were, he he was a stunning. fantastic portrait sculptor, and he could sculpt in a very realistic style. He didn't choose to. No. And that's an important thing too. I think that um, artists yeah. should, I mm. think, be able to choose a choose. style. Yeah. I think they should be able to do. Hands and hair. Hands and hair and, and faces. And, I mean, we may sound extremely old-fashioned saying that, but I really believe that. I believe that then, if you can do that, you have the right to choose to do whatever you want to do. Which is about direct expression. Yeah. Um, but you I, learned to do it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, when I left uh, college, I, mean, I trained as a graphic designer, and, but it was really, really boring, so everything I did was a graph, uh, was a illustration resolve. Uh, after I left, they set up an illustration department because of me. But I... Um, I Is that a compliment or an insult? It was a compliment <laughs> Okay. in the end. Uh, so I arrived in London and I went round all the newspapers and the newspapers were doing lots of uh, magazines of those days and were using a lot of illustration. It was a wonderful time for illustration in the the, like fashion, shoes. No, I mean everything. Every magazine had illustration in it. To, to more than photographs. Just more than photographs. Time. I mean, mm. that was the way. Interesting it, time. It was, mm. it was great. But um, nobody would see me, and I had this number, which turned out to be an artist's agent, and I walked in there, and they went through all my portfolio, and said, well, that's interesting. And they said, well, what have you got tucked away in the back? And I pulled out a single drawing that um, showed I could draw, and they said, if you can do that, we might be able to use you. What was the drawing of? It was of, um, oh gosh, it was, a, of, it was from a photograph of the Charge of the Light Brigade, and it was of Lord Ragland. Um, <laughs> and I did all the frogging, but then I actually did it on watercolour paper, and I actually <laughs> scrambled it up and pasted it down again. But underneath it was a very, with all the frogging and all that. And directly from that, I was immediately employed. I did. I worked there, but, but all the all my entire college portfolio was ignored, and never, never did anything like that again. Was um, the, the frogging was what uh, that got it attracted Henson to you, uh, also, right? Uh, the, <laughs> Sorry, that yes. was a joke, wasn't it? No, I, no, it was a good joke. Mm. <laughs> and so, yes, because when I turned up uh, at Henson's. Um, they, well, they didn't know. Well, they did have a clue because somebody came to see me before I went there and came to my house and saw that I also made little models, little figures, and puppets and things. So they had, no, when Jim saw my work, he had no idea I could work in three dimensions as well. So it turned out his choice was the right choice, really, that I could. Oh, absolutely. Let me just uh, yeah. say that, yeah, um, because I was hired too. And then Brian... Um, you know what, actually, you came in about a week later than I did because ah. your troll preceded you. Yes. He had sculpted this amazing um, troll, like one of Brian's trolls, not like a troll troll. It's a, anyway, you know what I mean, probably. It was about the size of a chimpanzee, and it had been shipped over for all of us in the workshop to look at because... That was what Jim wanted Dark Crystal to look like. So we not only saw sketches that Brian did, but we had this beautiful, amazing 3D sculpture in front of us. And it was it was uh, mixed media, so it had leather on it. It had everything that we ended up using on the Dark Crystal for the Mystics was already on this one particular piece that Brian had sculpted. And it was just such, it was, that was the touchstone for all of us. I hey, forgot about that. Really? You made oh, no, it was a, you it was made the piece? Great, yeah. yes. Yeah. Are you good at that, or are you just... Not now. He's I'm not dead good at armatures. I'm, no, it's I'm hopeless apart, at it now. Oh. Hopeless, hopeless. Couldn't possibly do it. But you pulled that one off. It's only because it Brian, Brian thinks that he shouldn't sculpt anymore because I do, but <laughs> <laughs> you, you have enough to do. I you have know, enough to do. Because Wendy is, I mean, truly, Wendy is the most magnificent... Um, translator of he my work. So when we worked on the films, we had, uh, in the end, lots of different sculptors. Um, and it, what was interesting, it was, um, I still think, when I, was, when I was there and I would hire people, I hired a lot of women. 
I, I liked what, what women actually brought to it. It was, it was just a different view. Um, and so women, uh, women really were, were, were really useful. And there was only maybe one or two of the men we, we used um, that I liked. One, that because he was a good mold maker, was always stuck in the basement making molds. And the other one was a man called Ron Muick, who has now gone on to be an actually extremely famous sculptor in England. Oh, you have to have liked Lyle, though. Lyle was amazing no, as a sculptor. Not, not, ah, he was good as a sculptor, but he didn't translate my work as well as you did. I mean, it, it, you gave another quality to it, which so is that other... So what's the stages? You have a sketch, then, a, then you fill then it out. Then a maquette, you... usually, which is a small sculpt. On yeah. a or something. Yeah, in the early from. days, I made maquettes, the little things uh, to, to give an indication, then people started to make them in larger scale. Um, and, and it took me a long, long time to learn how not to put my fingers on it, because I, I could only think through my fingers. And it was not politic to like mess around with somebody else's sculpt. No, we as sculptors hated to have him come over and oh. go, no, yeah. it should be like this. And then, so yeah. I quickly <laughs> learned <laughs> that how to articulate, which is quite a tough thing, to it articulate is, in the abstract about what mm. they needed to do. Without to touching the damn. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's really hard. Yeah. Um, but I did learn. You did. Did Ron Muick design the giant pregnant woman? Was yes. Yes. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ron Newick, uh, the sculptor that had been mentioned. Yeah, he did. He he he, he, does, he plays with scale. He does either the very very huge and super realistic or very very tiny. But they are um, all super realistic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But he he was working on um, um, Ludo, wasn't he? No. No, that was no, that was the guy that lived in yeah. the in the basement. Yeah, that was the guy that lived in the basement. Uh, Ron, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ron was just one of the uh, minor sculptors on, on. But I love what he did. It had, it had a sensitivity. But then he worked on. Um, oh, he worked on uh, the Alice film that they did. Oh. Um, I don't know. We're we're gonna not remember the yeah, names of things. No, 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 no. There was one. Um, Much. A dream child. Dream child. Dream child. It was a long, long time ago. Yeah. And. Uh, Henson did all the puppets for it. And Mother Goose. He we worked on. Well, never mind. Yeah. Lots of things. Mm. So do you all do movie work now? Um, no, it's very interesting that we're not particularly in, in, invited anymore, and I don't know quite what that's about. Maybe um, we don't play well with others. I well, it's not so. I mean, I have to say... Um, well, no, I can't say this. I guess I can't say it. No, don't. No, I won't. I won't. I can't yes. tell you some of the other things. But I have been... In, we, we keep trying to be involved and all that. But so. Yes, yes. That is finally, hopefully, every year it's every finally, year, hopefully yes. happening. But I think this year actually may really be finally, hopefully What's happening. The Dark sequel crystal. to the Dark Crystal. Dark Crystal, crystal 2. two. So, so the, 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 the master plan apparently <laughs> at the moment, and it's all going to be in Australia. Uh, Australian crew, uh, Australian directors. Um, this twins. Is, this is yeah. This is a movie that's so big you need twins to direct it. <laughs> uh, and they are describing it as going to be the biggest special effects movie ever made in Australia. So we don't know if this is good or bad. Or bad. Or how big is big <laughs> in Australia? Don't know. Uh, it's 3D, and that's as far much as we know. I mean, I. No, the other thing we know is that um, it will combine puppets and CGI, mm. but the main characters will be puppets. Yeah. I think so too. I Yoda really do, although they tried so much. Mm. Well, it's very it's funny because mm. we're in Petaluna, we were just there, and we did a signing in the bookshop, and this, uh, just before we started, I was, I was doing something, and this gentleman came up to me, um, and he said, Michael, and I won't, but Michael is, it was, um, was one of the people that had been involved in, in uh, uh, developing uh, animatic for Dark Crystal 2 and has been coming to see us down in, in England. And so, um, and he'd come down and we'd feed him. Um, he travels all over the world doing, um, he did a lot of T-Mobile um, adverts. He does a lot of uh, stuff that is, involves dancing and dancers. And it's, it's brilliant work. So he was involved and we were 
talking about dark crystal too. And there's another project that you know maybe we were working on, and I did some work for him. And so this guy in Petaluma saying, well, Michael's complaining that um, you know he, he he can't get hold of you, you can't get you for dinner, you know. So it's because we were we'd left the country in Petaluma, and, and I said, well, why do you know? He said, well, I'm working with him on this project. And he showed me my designs and what they were doing with it. And so um, we went and I went round and saw what they were doing. And what was the question? On There is a point to this. Uh, it was about Yoda. Oh, Yoda. Right. So the guy, the guy that runs the, guy that runs the, uh, the, the studio there turns out with the guy that did Yoda um, for the CGI. Like, CGI version um, and so they were all amazed when I'm sitting there talking to them that Wendy had done I'm saying well my wife was the, 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 was the mother of Yoda because <laughs> I'd met previously I'd been to Skywalker Ranch on another occasion and met the guy that was doing the ears and I complained about the Yoda and he was rather rather wounded by my remarks <laughs> which and were what well we're saying well it had it lost all all character it was just not it was just horrible. It wasn't a puppet anymore. And he said, but we worked really hard on the... To get the ears to ears bounce the same way a puppet's ears would bounce. But Wendy go, actually puppeteered the ears I on did. the original Yoda. So. It wasn't my fault that they bounced. But <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but I also he was telling me though that Frank was really impressed that they got the bounce on the ear. We were saying, mm. well, actually, the bounce on the ears was a bit of a mistake because it was because it was rubber. You didn't really want the bounce. What you wanted <laughs> was the expression. But, uh, but, but at least they got they that. admitted it wasn't, it know, wasn't quite the same. But although we, we know a lot of the people that worked on the CGI ones and uh, yeah. they did the best they could, but it isn't like puppets. It doesn't have the immediacy. No. Do they work? Well, uh, uh, clearly here they're working from an original puppet, but yep. like uh, and you guys, well, like at Pixar, do you think that they make actual physical models before they? Uh, yeah, people here yeah. probably know yeah, that better yeah. than you guys. Mm. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. So absolutely. Yeah, you need mm -hmm. something physical. They just do. To give it a presence. Yes. Yeah. 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 And a lot of places do. I mean, some just work on computer and build 3D, you know, models in the computer. But it's always very helpful to have something in front of you. I think. Do you oh. ever work in? Do you ever work on a computer? Do you ever use uh, digital drawing? No. Although so you use computers. I've, I've just for photography. I use I use computer photography. But um, there was so because um, we were like toying with the idea of. Um, I guess it was the iPad that when that sort of came up, and we just were wondering about oh, that. But the technology is, is no good for me. But you don't draw on an iPad. Do no. You? I don't, okay. but but that but that was why it was it was coming back, <laughs> you know. But you can do finger stuff, you know. Okay. But, but I mean, but the, the, the idea that maybe there's something direct. I might mean, just love the um, doodling or um, just the uh, the shapes of lines and what they mean. Do you work in pen or pencil? Pencil to start with, pencil. but it, but it, but I realized in just uh, thinking about it that um, there is something still magic about a piece of paper and a pencil. And it's just you and it, and whatever the possibilities is, that's just too exciting to abandon. Mm. And somehow. it's the same with sculpting. It's it's yes. like being able to hold something, hold clay, uh, albeit now polymer clay usually for mm. me, in my hand and and make something, and it's right there. And you know that if it's in your computer and the electricity goes down, something happens, it's just not there. It may come back eventually, but it's not there for a long time. And I, I, like, yeah. the f I like to have something in front of me. I really do. I think the other exciting thing is limitations. That, that, you know, if you've got a computer and it can do all these things, then you end up doing nothing or it has no, it has no grip to it. Talking about Yoda, I think, is really, really interesting. Ah, is because there were no limitations on what he could do, and yeah. that was a mistake. Well, in, yes, in the in the CGI, yeah. that was why it was and so there horrible. Were so many limitations on what the puppet could do that you really had to think out how you're going to make it believable. Because in those days, I mean, we were came out of Muppets, and you were hired across the, across the road, basically. Yeah, right? I was to, I was hired out to both things to to do Yoda. But so you were working with Frank. Mm. So Frank is go is trying to push his technology that he knew it was a puppet. He knew he had to make it real. And uh, at that particular time, we were trying to find a way of 
hiding arm wires. I mean, I did it in costume. But for Yoda, there was some possibility, and Frank said, well, what if, if you give me a walking stick, I've got an arm wire, I don't have to do this, I do this. Oh. And his character was starting to develop mm -hmm. from doing that, and the character developed and the way Wendy was making the, 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 the prototype. I made figure. a prototype puppet um, out of snipped foam, which is how you, you just snip it with, with scissors and, and create the face that way. I can sculpt that way. So I made a puppet that was the size and looked like Yoda for Frank to play with. So that was the one that, that um, we used for months and months, really, for him to get the character and uh, figure out what Yoda was and how he would work. And we did that for all of the, actually we did that for the puppets on Dark Crystal and Labyrinth too. It was really important to have something for the people to relate to before we had the final thing and it was the day before we were shooting and they were on, you know, on screen. So it's important, that's but important so stage. That's all about limitations because I, I learned the limitations early on are very important. puppets do nothing basically. So the, what you had to find out was what, the, what was the one thing they could do really well. And so whatever that was, or can you show me a movement you can mm. do, I would base the character or the focus of the character around that. So in the end, yeah. Yeah. So in the exactly. end you so believe is, they did they everything. Mm. And that's what, mm. but it comes literally from limitations. Because it well, means that you're it's I mean, people say this, I think it was Conrad that said that character emerges from the limitations of plot, yes. from the strictures, mm. you know. Yeah. You you box yourself in, and sure. as you box yourself in, your character emerges. Yeah. Yes. Because all you of a sudden, all the possibilities drop visit. away. Yeah. But it's so exciting to work like that. I and guess. It's like, it's puzzles. But you guys, yeah, you've done a lot of work, I mean, artists, uh, as working as artists in, in committee, it sounds like. Mm. Yes, but, very much so. And yeah. So how does that, I mean, you, you, you don't do that so much anymore. Right? No. Do you miss it? No. Really not. I think I'm too old now to do that. I've done it a couple of times and worked um, for other people and hated it because I'm too opinionated. And I just don't, you know, if I don't want to do something or if I don't like the way it's being done, I don't want to do it. I just don't want to do it. So you never liked it that much? I did. No, it was fine. When I was in my 20s and early 30s, yeah, I liked it. Um, it was fine. But now, nah. Don't want to do it. And what about you? <laughs> I mean, I still like a collaborative effort. It's still. It's oh, collaborative is different. It's working yeah, for someone different. who's telling yeah. you what to do. But it has to be collaborative. Yeah. You need, you need um, whoever's mm, behind it. Uh, I can't think. You know, whoever is the director or the person who's paying the money to understand what that really, really means. And now I don't. Genuinely, I don't think uh, my little knowledge now and talking to people where they're working on projects, it actually happens anymore. It's because it's, it's driven by money. <coughs> it's driven by what it has to be at the end. I, mean, I remember working and for, time constrictions yeah. because you have so well, little. I remember time working to do for TMS and we did. Um, it was uh, Little Little Nemo in Slumberland, and I designed Nightmare Land and everything. And working with a lot of old Disney animation animators. And um, we were all really puzzled by the Japanese who wanted us to work to this strict structure. You know, by week two, you would have done this. Week three, you would have done that. And we kept going, what? And we said, no, we need nine, ten weeks to just play. And they didn't <laughs> get it. And they kept saying, well, you won't finish. Said, yes, we will. Everybody knew what we were talking about, you know, what we <laughs> meant by that, that you needed to toss ideas around, you need to experiment, but you would still get to that end bit on time wasn't in their philosophy and it just it was it was it was well, it was a nightmare <laughs> it was really didn't it didn't work and i have worked uh, a little bit in other studios and uh, been horrified and shocked about how they deal with creative problems and it's still this driven thing um and nobody knows it seems to me quite what i mean working with jim henson was an absolute joy because of the freedom he get he gave us but, but i think even been, then I mean, that was a commercial enterprise that eventually it was but oh, i it think it wasn't at the beginning no, no it was his dream it so, was and uh, he financed oh, it at the beginning yeah, he was so he really oh, gave us so yeah. much time so yeah. you never knew um no and then there was a time i remember on dark crystal where i was in a screening room rather similar to this 
And I watched the uh, executives leave ashen-faced, literally (laughs) ashen-faced, because they were expecting it was going to be jolly and funny and Muppets. And I I think in those days, even that early stuff we were showing, we had uh, Mm. made-up language, we had proper languages, and it was going to be subtitled. Oh, at one point it was all going to be subtitled, (laughs) which would have been really bizarre, because we did have all the languages made up. that's it was it was, really, yeah. it was really really <laughs> interesting. Right. So but it was only too bizarre. Yeah. So it was quite late in the day where he um, actually got the money. Um, and and so um, to to some degree on both films it was a disappointment for Jim that it did not financially um, recoup its costs or uh, was was successful but he was intensely proud of its vision. And um, they've become just such iconic films. They're, they're uh, all the time, when people come up to us and talk about Dark Crystal, how it changed their lives, how they got in, either into the film business, they took up art or writing. It was uh, incredibly influential. And mm. I, you know, I always say, well, you know, Jim would have been delighted to hear that. Yeah. Um, so to be a part of that was just yeah. an amazing experience. Yes, because that was the way he was. I mean, mm. he was... He was he pioneered this, these ideas, pushed the boundaries on things, but it had um, it had an openness to it. I mean, it's, they're, they're flawed films, there's no doubt about it, but they still have a life because that's what we gave it. We gave our everything. Because Jim was such an extraordinary man that we, uh, we we would do anything for him because he, he, wherever he would go... And everybody would. would. Everybody that worked for yeah. him just... You know, we're willing to give everything they had because he accepted it. He didn't always use it, but he always listened and he always Mm. was fascinated by what everybody had to contribute. And that's that's a rare thing. Mm. And if you ever find it anywhere, just embrace it. (laughs) I like that. Yeah, I agree. So what are you doing? What are you guys doing now that gives you that pleasure or that excitement? Exactly what we're oh, doing. Oh, nothing. We I sit mean, at home just being just, grumpy. Yeah, but just really what we're doing. I mean, so, it's, t- so yeah. explain to me what you're pro- what what you're doing right now. Well, we're on tour right now for um, <laughs> right this minute for the Heart of Fairy Oracle, which is a, a a card deck with a book. And the interesting thing for me was because I am a visual artist, um, I was asked to write write it, and I did. And I've always written as well as as you know created 3d pieces but this is the first time i really had to write a whole book to go with something and i enjoyed it thoroughly it was a fascinating experience and we worked together in a way that we haven't worked before which was me responding um through writing about your images usually i respond by creating a 3d image from a 2d image of yours but this time i had to respond by Make writing a, about make a 1D image 1D image yeah, yeah. <laughs> a black and white just <laughs> typed out image um, for, for what you for what you do it was so fascinating re- read us a couple of your cards I don't have them <laughs> they're out there okay. no no it's fine we'll, we we'll can do it later alright yeah Wendy, I, mean, I have to say Wendy in the past I mean I'd show some, uh, some uh, whatever I was painting on and she'd, she'd come in and I was always very nervous about showing anything and she'd look at it and then she'd go oh yeah I don't there's something about the nose or and I go what you know what do you know nothing about art how dare you <laughs> storm yeah, off into storm your studio off and have a few more drinks and of course when I stop there and look at it she's right of course she's right because it's always the bit it's always your weakest bit that you're trying to deny <laughs> she would she would spot immediately uh, but he would do the same thing with mine so we would both at the end of the often you know, especially at the end of a week, we'll come out into our kitchen, because we both have studios in the house, but at different ends of the house. So we'd come out, you know, very sheepishly at the, on a Friday with our pieces, whatever we've done, and show them. And then we, if it's early enough before dinner to have, to be able to have a little fit, we will storm off and right. come back before dinner. Otherwise, we just sort of, you know, brush it away and have dinner and don't think about it. But uh, yeah, it's been interesting to work like that. But I mean, um, I I mean, I despair about my work all the time, and you know, I would always say, well, I've lost my talent. Wendy's tried to put a stop to this immediately by 
inventing this little device in our kitchen which is a hand and a, and a globe on it with a, it has a lid on it so she says hey, every time you say you've lost your talent that's where it resides you can get it back <laughs> um, it's like a spittoon it is <laughs> oh <laughs> talent oh I'll always I'll always think oh, about that thank you oh. <laughs> yeah it was nice until you You're said right. that right no uh, yeah but I mean it is I mean it's an extraordinary I mean Part of what you originally said is quite an interesting question about really, you know, what's our, what are we doing? What's our joy or all that? Um, because it's tough. I mean, I have to tell you, it's tough out there. We all know that. I mean, just trying to make a living or uh, even though, you know, we might be seen as successful, it's not been like that. It's been a struggle to find work or get things published because because of the, what we do. But it's also it's an interior struggle because we... Yeah. You know, you don't come with an unlimited amount of um, belief in yourself, I suppose. Yeah. It's very hard to keep believing in what you do and uh, believing in the integrity. We're, I think the thing that is more important mm. than anything yes. to us is the integrity of what yeah. we do. We try very hard to keep that in mind for everything. Yeah. That it is an illustration, it's not made up, it's really the real thing. We always try to make it. I always try, to, my expression, I want it to be truthful. Everything I paint has to be in some sense truthful. And you're right, it is about integrity. Mm. So it's actually, uh, and, and because of the subject matter, is that we are literally like fairies between the worlds. Um, it's not always valued as art. Um, art galleries don't want it because they think it's one thing. Genre, right? Yeah, genre. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Meantime, so it's, it's you know, Wendy and I have just been in a huge, major exhibition about fairies in England, and now in another one that's been moved to the north of England. These are museum, museum exhibitions. Museum shows, so we, we do get into museums, but the art world doesn't understand what we do. Um, so and you're I'm sort of like the pre-Raphaelites who also yeah. were dismissed for such a long time. Right. And, uh, so, so, so after so we're it, dead, probably. It, it becomes, I mean, a truly soon, a personal struggle to, uh, to, for us to, to keep the faith, to uh, try, because uh, um, you know, my struggle is to paint better or make it better or make it more expressive all these things, and you know, I, sometimes I think, God, I'm you know, not doing it. It's a challenge, but it's a joy too, because yes. well, I, was I think to the joy we, bit. oh, were you, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm working up to the joy <laughs> bit. I was going through the things okay. to get to the joy Going bit. through the despair to get to the joy, okay. <laughs> it's true, because eventually, right. you know there was actually, not only, I mean, we're, we're really lucky, because in an odd sense, we can't do anything else, because we find that out. Every time we try to do something else, it won't let us, no. we have to do what, we do, which is a genuine, true expression of, of, of it and us through it. So yeah. that's all we can do. Well, a critic once uh, said uh, when Fairies was so successful, mm. and they said it, it, it combined a, it, it's what you knew that Fairies looked like. Right. It was original, mm. yes. yet at the same time, it, mm. it was in a tradition. It, yes. And I was wondering is, if yeah. you could say a couple of words about, as some, I mean, you've obviously thought about this as well as done it. There is a tradition uh, that how fairies are portrayed. Yeah. And does that come through artists or how does that, uh, what, Ooh. who did you look at? Oh, right. Okay. Well, What's no, you've got ladder? several questions. You've got several questions. There. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what I'm talking uh, about. For me personally, it was <laughs> Arthur Rackham, but that when, uh, when we were asked, Alan and I were asked to do this book, and um, the, when the publishers came to see us in Chagford, we were shown a certain book, and we just sort of ignored it. And then so we, we piled in, and we, we, both of us had a library of very folklore stuff, and we started to paint. And we started to send it off, and suddenly the publishers arrived again with the same book which they gave to us, again, to look at. And we looked at it, and both Al and I looked at it, you know, and then we all went, oh my God. And it was the Gnomes book. And what we had missed was that we were supposed to do the follow-up to the Gnomes book. We thought we were asked to do something that was genuinely about fairies. Uh, and they were only seeing it as another bit of marketing that fairies, after, you know, fairies seem to be after gnomes, would be great because they're going to be pink and fluffy and funny. 
and we were doing all these uh, you know dark and grey uh, mean little things with with little sharp teeth that bite your ankles and they were horrified um, but we were doing it because we were trying to respond to folklore to gen to gen uh, people's genuine experience of fairies uh, in England and Ireland uh, something that was local to us and to be truthful and um, they nearly didn't do it, but I'm really pleased they did because I think that's what shines through the book, is its directness, it's, it's actually connected to something that was real. Uh-huh. Mm. Well, is it, but there's an artistic, uh, you mentioned mm. rack. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, well, this is a big debate about fairies, of course. Um, you know, where, when you see a fairy, which is a psychic experience, um, often they will show up as something that you think you know, maybe a leprechaun. There are ah. traditional shapes and forms, so you know you can talk about this as being either. So they know, assume that it's, it is. This mm -hmm. is possible. I mean, I, I mean, I still think whatever the energy is, the genuine energy is often so abstract that um, you need to turn it into something that you can understand. And so well, there's a tendency for us as humans is to put form to it to give it a body and wings and a face or whatever. Having, so that's, that's a rationalization of it. I mean, having said that, I remember um, being somewhere on the, uh, on, on the coast here and one of my tours and walking down the street and thinking, I don't know, I'm sort of, sort of seeing leprechauns and why am I seeing leprechauns in, in America? And um, I suddenly saw a sign and it said, these uh, were the fever sheds. Um, uh, this is the site of the fever sheds where uh, uh, Irish immigrants um, who had got uh, yellow fever were brought off the ships basically to die. Mm -hmm. So somehow they brought their indigenous fairies with them. So um, just then, this rather refutes the idea that... Um, um, that it is just abstractions that they are that they, they bring some inherent form with them. Hmm. At the same time, um, we're, you know, we're dealing. If you're trying to deal with spirit and you're trying to deal with things that are normally invisible, how do you make that manifest so people can understand or communicate some of that energy? You've got to often put them into a, in terms of as an artist. I have to put them. In, into forms that people can understand. Well, that's why we have an anthropomorphic god, or you know, yeah. I mean, that's how we. Sure, because because if I always say, if you can put a face to it, literally a face to it, you can have a conversation. Now you're in relationship to spirit, and this is why we have. Well, we're looking at the the, the, the doll exhibition, um, which was a fantastic exhibition of uh, a wide breadth of how people um, uh, approach doll making um, as, as an art form um, is that um, and it's again dismissed generally by the art world but if you walk into any European church what do you see? You see in any other terms a doll I mean, you see crucifixes, you see saints you see the Virgin Mary oh, polychrome. they're all painted polychrome there's actually a fantastic book just came out there was a big exhibition, where was it? which is about uh, Spanish polychromed um, Figures, Religious I mean, large, uh, life-size figures, um, and, and this was a, a, an extraordinarily powerful art form where people not only carved the stuff as one person, and people would paint it, and there were tears. But this is this is part of our human heritage: is making figures that involve or or express directly spirit, and that's what we do. One other question before we open this up. There's also seems you, I look at your work and I see faces, but I also see bodies. There's a certain erotic element right. to fairies. So, I mean, how, does this, does this apply to your work as well? Because I don't know your work as well. Or is it just guys? Or is it just painters? No, actually it's not. Yeah, I, I, I do. Um, I suppose because I've done a series of books with Terry Windling writing them, the Old Oakwood series. Those are children's books, so no, they, they don't have erotic figures in them. But I enjoy doing that. I love sculpting. I love sculpting flesh, so I do. 
but it's um, and in in my book, there's the an Art of Wendy Froud book, and and there are some some pieces like that in there. Hmm. Um, well, I like nudity. <laughs> I love it. Um, um, but but truly, part of what I paint refers to other things all the time. It refers, in particular, to art, other art forms, and old art, and and which involves nudity. And it also it refers to gods and goddesses, Greek gods and goddesses. Um, it also refers to the human spirit, and, and, and traditionally the soul is uh, is often um, depicted as a naked body. You know, apart from um, the soul, also as a butterfly and wings, uh, wing figures. Um, so it constantly moves through those genres to come to an image that in some way is trying to articulate something hopefully profound. Like a naked girl. Yeah. Well, yeah. it doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, uh, let's open it up. Can I, um, do you guys. mind if I just went to the bathroom? No. Nope. You, you no, ask no. Wendy first and I'll be back. <laughs> oh, I thought I might go with you. Can All we right. just have a little break? Yeah, let's take a fat, let's, let's take five minutes. Let's take five minutes. Okay. Let's all have a cigarette <laughs> and a glass of wine. All right. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. <laughs>